totally football show. Today, FA Cup fourth round drama. At Anfield, dismay at expensive innovation brought in to reduce mistakes, as even with Van Dyke, Liverpool still concede, lose, etc. and so on. We weigh in on the VAR wars. Better by VAR or VAR a long, long way to run? We'll be discussing that. Also, rounding up all the fourth round winners and losers from Newport County, in like Flynn, to West Ham, out like Lemons. Then, looks a lordy, there's midweek Premier League action, Man United, Spurs, but also Swansea, Arsenal and more. We'll have some foreign news, big debuts from Barcelona to Buenos Aires, why Monaco spent 20 million on a 16-year-old, other questions and more in this Totally Football Show. That's right, listeners, I'm here, and who's with me? Well, it's the sound of the priest. Hello, David Priest. Good morning, James. Good to have you back. Also here... It's Dr. Tom Markham. Hi, James. And that's the story. Daniel. That's the story we've got. Indeed. Daniel's story. That takes me back to senior school nicknames. Oh, yeah. What yeah. was your nickname then? Uh, high story or sort of history gag and fairy story, which is a shame. Fairy story. Yeah, that's a shame. I'd have gone for multi, to be honest. Multi story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sad story. There's so many you can choose from. It's a ubiquitous word, isn't it? Isn't it, though? <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, what's going on at Newcastle, Dr. Tom? Very good question. Still uh, a live opportunity there. Fantastic club to buy. I think a lot of the potential buyers are a little bit worried about their precarious position in the league, but there definitely is still interest at the club. Ooh, so something might actually happen, even though Amanda Stavely was only pretending. Yes, I think, uh, well, it's funny because, you know, having worked on quite a few of these deals... We were just discussing off-air that the last thing that you actually really want is for something to hit the papers. So it was a little bit suspect that the six parties that I believe that have signed NDAs at Newcastle, but one in particular, seem to be all over the papers at all times, at all stages of the, the process. So, so, the, so the Stavely bid was one of only five or six offers for the club that are still out there? Potentially, I'm not sure exactly how many are live still, but there are still interested parties that are in the data room at the club. And realistically, on the kind of timescale we're looking at before the end of the season for something could go through? From my experience, that's the best time to buy a club. When a club is safe, because let's look at the way the league is broken down. You have a situation where there's six or seven clubs that at the moment are very unlikely to get relegated. But after that, mm. anyone else could go down. Right. So. You want to get in there as early as possible. You want to be able to put your own management stamp on the club and to get it organised for the season ahead. So I think that's the position that a lot of the potential buyers are in for Newcastle. So they they would try and get in now while Newcastle are still in time to save themselves rather than... Oh, sorry, were you saying that they would wait until Newcastle looked like they were out of danger? They At this stage now, no one would want to buy a football club with a couple of days away from the window closing. Right. So obviously they'll wait... They'll they'll have everything ready to go in the background, but they'll they'll be ready to push the button when the club is safe, and that's the best time to buy a football club. And when, or if, just one point between Newcastle right now and the bottom three in that Premier League, big game coming up on uh, in mid midweek. Who are they playing actually? Burnley. Oh, they yeah. Burnley. Okay, not that big, but still they're all <laughs> they're all big at this point. We'll talk more about the cup. We'll talk more about Newcastle and your team as well, listeners. Uh, later on, but I want to start with the FA Cup fourth round, which brought everything. It felt like an ast astonishingly rich a round of games, this, in, in, in terms of highs and lows and drama and talking about everything from Mourinho's suffer the little children moment there on the, the pitch at Yeovil to uh, Cardiff's attempts to kind of the unsanitary attempts to, to kind of redistribute Sani's legs all over the pitch. Uh, Daniel, you, you did the fabulous winners and losers along with Matt Stead. Uh, yeah. This 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 morning actually. Which, yeah. Yeah. What well, from that? What would you pull out as your moments of of, of the fourth round? I, I thought Liverpool West Brom was a was a, a farcical game at times, but a really enjoyable game. I thought the two interesting things there. Firstly, we're used to kind of saying standard Liverpool when they lose to a perceived smaller team, particularly Anfield. But actually, West Brom changed it up. They didn't. You know, they didn't sit back. They went for it first half. They played two up front, which Pardew has kind of changed since he came in. It's, it's reignited Jay Rodriguez. He scored twice for, the, I think, the second time in almost four years in a game. So he's kind of in arguably the form of his career again. Um, 
and they it was it was two distinct games that they they assault you know they went on the on the assault against Liverpool they got their lead and then Harold and Carney got injured they brought on Matty Phillips as a kind of quasi winger forward and sat back in the second half and kind of beat them twice which is I'd say it was more worrying than than the Swansea defeat for Liverpool because Klopp said after the game he didn't try and hide it he said we really wanted to win this competition this wasn't you know they played a strong team this wasn't a this wasn't a team's kind of limping out of the FA Cup they right. really wanted it and as you say coming straight after Swansea uh, on the uh, Monday of last week that's now back to back games they've lost against the bottom two teams in in the Premier League mm. which is r- remarkable among uh, the figures that one might cite for praise among the baggies you've got uh, well, J. Rod, as you say. Uh, John Perkins wants a shout-out for Gareth Barry. He says, how many careers and other things that have started and finished since Gareth made his debut? May 1998 showed all his know-how in the win against Liverpool. Deserves more kudos. Also, Ben Foster. Is it, should he be receiving a praise, David? Yeah, he played very well. I mean, I know that um, a lot of people criticise uh, Similarly, when he, whenever he makes any sort of mistake, and he was a little Foster was a little bit to blame for uh, for the first goal that Firmino scored, a little bit of indecision between him and I think it was Johnny Evans, uh, which allowed Firmino right. to, to was to, that to not more Johnny Evans's? No, because um, Ben's made the motion to come out, and uh, when Johnny's locked up, he can see his keepers coming, and then he's he's changed his mind. They've they've both left it to each other, and it's he, he almost made up with a save, and it was a brilliant finish by Firmino. But uh, yeah, I think I saw a lot of um, Liverpool fans saying they wish they'd had uh, if they had Ben Foster in in goal, they might have won that game. Interesting. I mean, it's not it's not to blame uh, Mignolet. He didn't really wasn't to blame for any of the goals. But one question, uh, one thing I would question is that now that he's been demoted and Carius has been given the number one spot, I really don't see the need to to play him anymore. Simply because Carius needs the, as many games under his belt to, to prove himself, mm. and this and this is would have been another one. He needs that continuity. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, who after his uh, goal-scoring debut for Liverpool, hasn't shone. What, is that just a bedding in, a kind of natural settling in period? Would you say? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's understandable when he moves to that sort of money that there's going to be a sort of heightened scrutiny on every one of his performances. But yeah, he didn't play a lot of football this season at Southampton. If any, he didn't play. It much football in the second half of last season as well. It's understandable that he might be a little bit rusty. The problem is, is that Joel Matic was was dire as well. Um, that was that was more disappointing. There's less excuses for for Joel Matic playing poorly because it, it it's kind of felt through all this centre back debacle at Liverpool that Matic has been the kind of the rock, the one around which they should build. Now Van Dijk's in. It's kind of building Van Van Dijk and him and Matic are the obvious partnership. But he was awful. He was absolutely dire against West Brom and and they are not a particularly effective attack um, Liverpool if they're going to go far in the Champions League they need to improve very quickly in that area Right, midweek they're going to be at Huddersfield mm. the, the David Wagner derby there you go <laughs> who is a um, quick story about he was obviously he, Klopp's the godfather of one of Wagner's children and obviously Wagner was Klopp's best man uh, and the story the most middle class stag do ever which is Wagner organised them to go to Mainz Christmas Market in 25 Santa masks and they had to drink mould Klopp had to drink as much mould wine as he could until he raised his hand to say he could drink no more at which wow. point at which point they phoned his wife to pick him up <laughs> where was this I think he told it to I think Wagner told it in an interview with Sky Sports when they played Liverpool earlier in the season right when they lost, uh, what was it, uh, 3-0, was it? Yeah, 3-0 at Anfield. Yeah. I'm hoping my stag, which is in Hamburg, will be that tame in, in a couple of weeks. Well, Dr Tom, that's very exciting. We're going to the St Pauli game, actually. Are you? Yeah. Right, OK. Uh, and uh, is it a big affair? There's 42 booked on it at the moment, oh, so it's going to be a little bit disjointed. It's an interesting yeah. part of Hamburg, that as well, isn't it? Stag it? It is, and we're staying very, very close to that interesting part of Hamburg. Which interesting part of Hamburg is that, David? Um, the the famed red light district. Oh, is it the Reaper Barn? Yeah, is that, that's is that the one. Reaper yes. Barn? Oh, right. Um, I only know that from my Beatles knowledge. <laughs> uh, of so, so um, well, there you go. So, congratulations to you. Congratulations very much to West Brom. Uh, how much danger are Liverpool in of making it three defeats in a row to relegation uh, threatened teams? Uh, when they visit Huddersfield, who, after all, beat Man United there not so long ago. David? I think it's a very realistic uh, uh, chance of happening because it's. I think teams have to get up and they have to see this weakness in Carrius and uh, his insecurity in the goal and have to go for him. And I think that's, uh, that's exactly what Huddersfield needed to do. Huddersfield are funny at home this season against bigger teams. They got hammered by Tottenham and basically 
incredibly naive, went, tried to go at Tottenham and Tottenham just picked them apart. They then kind of learned their lessons against Manchester United and Manchester City and obviously beat United and played very well against City. But then they did exactly the same against West Ham when Arnautovic and Lanzini just picked them off at home and won 4-1. So they're a little bit jackal at Hyde at, at home. It's almost as if they're, they're trying to pick their battles that they try and win. I mean, they're on a wretched run. But mm. yeah, if, if Moy and Schindler don't perform, Huddersfield don't perform. And when you've only got two players to do that, I wonder if Liverpool can kind of shut down those two options and, and the, let the front three pick them off. I All think right. Liverpool will win. OK, well, they do need a win after what mm. happened. Of course, uh, against West Brom. I tell you, we haven't mentioned the VAR. I did mention it once, but I think I got away with it. Um, but I, I guess we ought to <coughs> have a yeah, no, no, Daniel. Should we just leave it? Should we just say? <laughs> should we just say that you and many other people, some of our listeners as well, have said? I thought the whole point was just to have a fifth official watching mm. a video feed, and if something is clearly wrong, then you let the referee know. Not that the referee wanders over. Yeah. Flicks through some channels I, and stuff. I, my big issue with it, and I think I've probably said it on this podcast before, is to me it just in, enlarges this blame culture around referees. It, it, this idea that this is to solve, you know, battle against injustice in football, that's not why this has come in. It's come in because managers moan about decisions and blame them for results. And therefore, I, it, to me, it just increases the blame culture. After the game on, on Saturday evening, we, we weren't just talking about refereeing decisions. We were talking about refereeing decisions to refer refereeing decisions. Right. Sort of, I don't know. But Saturday's was a particular... I mean, of all the games that I've seen so far with VAR in it, mm. I don't think I've seen one as badly handled as that. Certainly in this country. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think that's directly proportional to the amount of fuss we're causing about it. Everything, every time it's used now, becomes a talking point in itself. So inevitably that will create controversy. Mm. Uh, I just, if I, I think, personally, I think we've got bigger issues around referees in this country, which is the complete failure of the respect campaign and the massive shortage of officials coming through because they don't want to do it. Well, it was a Craig Porson who was man, it was man, Yeah, it was. Yes, referee. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just looks a little bit bewildered and I think that's just down to the fact that referees aren't used to this yet. Mm. They, they're still in a beginner stage of it and it's it, they just need it a couple of seasons and even if next year if they go into it full time or being used in every game then you'll, you'll get more consistency and, and maybe more fluid, uh, fluency yeah. in the game but I also think that when this decision, when these decisions are made, and when it's realised that they're, they're going to the uh, to the VAR, they have to have uh, an exclusion zone, almost like free kick. I think they should have a sort of a ten yard per, uh, perimeter around them where no players are allowed to enter. Mm. There, there can be no um, no interference, no sort of. Uh, you know they, they, they can't be talking because they have to concentrate on what's going on there at the time mm. to be able to make these decisions and to listen to what's happening and otherwise it's just everything going around them and and, and also when you did you see uh, when Salah for the penalty mm. now I, I know they were all they were supposed to uh, clamp down on people claiming the, for the VAR for mm. like making the the TV sign but he's almost doing exactly the same he just stood up and pointed towards the to the screen we already have we have rules around that say players aren't allowed to scream obscenities in referees faces it doesn't mean they're actually implemented and that's that's not the referee's fault that's because it's a completely overwhelming situation that if they sent off or booked every player that screamed obscenities in their face a we wouldn't we wouldn't end games without a sending off and b the referees would then get blamed for trying to be the centre of attention yeah. which we get now it, the if accusation they, if they wanted to they could clamp down on this no problem and just say that the referees could not be approached whether it's 5 yards 10 yeah. yards or whatever like that they mm. should be nowhere near them so they can make clearer uh, and better decisions Dr Tom in a sentence my view on, on technology is I'm all for it if it doesn't disrupt the game and it's funny because the name of this VAR or VAR was actually the same name as the stress test system that they used for the banks and that obviously failed terribly so I wonder if this is going to go the same route well I wonder I mean I, I'm not saying it wasn't worth trialling because it's only by trialling that people like mm. me who thought brilliant video refereeing let's bring that in go whoa this is actually not a good idea David you clearly think that with a bedding in period once the kinks are ironed out that it will be a benefit to the game I personally feel that in its current in its current iteration I'd rather it went away. And it was interesting to see, actually, um, Raphael Honigstein reporting that the uh, Bundesliga players mm. have voted. No, it's not a kind of... It's it's, it's an advisory. It's a, a, a straw poll, I guess, yes. of the players that, that they would rather see it, it gone. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm fairly fairly overwhelmingly, I think. Mm. Well, after, after some pretty useful contributions there to the VAR debate, we'll be back with some other cup news after this. 
Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. This will cheer you up, Daniel Story. Newport County. They didn't get the win, but they are going to Wembley. It was... We've had to sit through quite a bit of dirge in the FA Cup this season to find the the famed magic, but it was there at Rodney Parade. You know, it was the wind was howling... The crowd was, it was a, obviously a massive bumper crowd, all of which, by the way, will be able to fit into the away end at Wembley. Um, so they can all go. And it's an incredible how it continues to surprise me how much of a level of those conditions were because Tottenham were awful on a slippy pitch. Newport knew exactly what they were doing. Tony Poulis was born in Newport and this was a Tony Poulis performance. It was like <laughs> balls down the channels, balls up, let's try and win a throw in and there's a towel on the touchline. It was it was absolutely brilliant. And I actually think fair play to Spurs for kind of eventually getting through that test and I suspect they'll beat them at home. But I always like it when a you see a manager of a, a lower league team celebrating a draw, even having been ahead, because he's thinking, we're going to Wembley, and obviously they're all singing, Kisa, Rasa, Ra, and yeah, it was probably my favourite tie of the FA Cup this season, I think. Excellent. Mike Flynn says he nearly hid under the table when he saw Tottenham's starting eleven uh, because it was actually a strong side that they very nearly beat. Yeah, it was. Players like Jan Vertonghen, I suspect, will be happy never to go to Newport again. He, <laughs> he started by complaining that the, the ball was getting caught in the floodlights. As if yeah, there what was, was the issue with the floodlights? I th- they're quite low at Rodney Parade and there's sort of four along each main stand. And he said it was in his eyes as if they were going to manage to block them out for him. Or, um, But yeah, so that was his issue. And then he just he just really didn't want to be there. But but actually, none of them did. Eric Dyer was pretty bad. Wanyama was bad. and Yeah, they just... They just got amongst them um, mm. and loved it. All right, other heartwarming stories this weekend included Coventry's wonder win of MK Dons, witnessed by 8,000 away fans who were taking the opportunity to go and go and support uh, the Sky Blues. Yeah, because they don't want to give CISO any money, so they don't generally don't buy home tickets. Um, but obviously, in a bigger way day, they, they love. So <laughs> we're, I'm hoping for Tottenham, they get Tottenham in the next round at Wembley for that sort of 87 Cup final repeat. That would be, be amazing. Would be amazing. For anyone who's not across this, why should everyone celebrate Coventry's success? Uh, well, very briefly, the, the owners took them out of or saved them from administration in 2007 and then effectively have, have starved the club and took them away from their ground over a you know over an argument about paying the rent. And effectively, they're now just being left out in the rain to rust, waiting for a new owner. But Sisu won't sell and a new owner won't take them at the moment. So they're just kind of... I don't know, just existing, really. Dr Tom, that's a massive club, potentially, just sitting there waiting for someone to come along. Huge club with great heritage as well. And I think they brought in Professor Chris Anderson, um, and who's, who I know quite well, who's, who's an amazing guy, really, really, you know, uh, progressive thinker. And they brought him in to, to sort of try and pep things up. But, you know, if you don't have the resources and everything isn't pulling in, in the same direction at a club, it's so difficult mm. to, to get them out of a position like that. How much would they want, do you think, to, to come in and take over? Uh, I, I actually have been involved with a couple of people that have made approaches and they've been rebuffed straight away. Oh, really? So, that, as, as Daniel quite rightly said, for whatever reason, Sisu aren't that interested in, in selling, but... I, I, the asset isn't necessarily going up in value because of where they are. The, the, one of the players, I can't remember who it is, unfortunately, but was saying that the, the squad actively dislike playing at home because of the atmosphere and the you know six thousand people in a thirty-two thousand seat stadium. It's just it's really sad. I'll yeah. tell you what, though, even when they're in the championship, it, it's still the stadium. It, just for some reason, there was never a great atmosphere in there. I don't want something to do with the design of the stadium. But one of the, one good decision that they've made the last uh, last twelve months was bringing Mark Robbins in. No, Mark Robbins very well, yeah. good manager, and it would have been quite easy for them to come down again to this division, the League Two, and then just continue the slide down. Yeah. He's not just he's, he's not just stopped the rot. I think the three points off uh, promotion place yeah. as well. The academy has been brilliant as well. The academy manager there has done a fantastic job. They've obviously sold James Madison uh, to Norwich, but they've got other players there who uh, that that is effectively that and Robbins is what's keeping the club going at the moment. Brilliant. The draw for the fifth round is today, no? Yeah, it's on. It's. Uh, Fittingly for the gravitas of such an old competition, it's live on the one show. Oh, brilliant! Okay. This evening. So. <laughs> 
Excellent. All right. <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing what happens there. Wigan beat West Ham. How good is Nick Powell? Insouciant his performance. <laughs> it is nice to see, though, isn't it? Because he had a wretched time at Man United. And yeah. one of those young players get criticised of taking big moves like that. But in that same position, in any other industry, we'd all do exactly the same. Uh, he got serious injuries. There were slight questions about his attitude. But he've, those questions about his attitude surely have to slightly dissipate when you look at his clear hunger in League One. And he's probably the best player in that division at the moment. Yeah, West Ham were wretched. Right. An attitude uh, brings us on rather nicely to uh, Adamasuaka's uh, regrettable, lamentable mm. flob. Although the opprobrium that has been unloaded on, on, on said player... David, in football, as a player, is, is spitting something that you dare not even name, such as the horror that it causes? It seems to be for some people, but to me it's just... It's, it's nowhere near the, the worst thing you can do on a football pitch. I did, right. I did a piece in the Times today that was... Um, it always comes... Every time there's a spitting incident, you'll always get somebody to come out and say, oh, well, I'd rather be punched than uh, than spat at, which is ridiculous, really. <laughs> it's not that easy to wipe wipe a broken nose away, really, as, as it is with uh, saliva. But it's it's just something... It's, it's, it's like... Um, it's almost like akin to, you know when people are sledging that you can see anything, but if you mention somebody's mother or wife, then it's all better off. Like you know, it's, just, it's kind of the same thing, yeah. and it's and the, the ultimate disrespect. When to be honest with you, I, yeah, yeah. If, if, given, the given the choice, I'd rather have neither. But mm. <laughs> that said, I'm not entirely sure why Matsuaka thought it was a good idea to spit at him, and it leaves West Ham in in a massive problem because. Well, he's going to have probably, what, we think, six-game six, yeah. suspension. Uh, they've got a massive injury list, which includes... Uh, I've got it written down. A bit know, yeah, Anatovic, Lanzini, Winston Reid. And they've all... those And three... Mark Noble. Yes. Yeah. Those, those three have all got muscle injuries. Very briefly, David Moyes kind of moaned about his injury list. But when he came into West Ham, he said... Um, I think he was on his first press conference, he said, I'm going to make these players cry in training. No one will ever be able to say we, we don't work hard enough. And West Ham always have injury problems, but the problem with Bilic is that they were kind of the training was too light and their fitness went down. It's kind of Goldilocks situation in that they've, Moyes is pushing them and pushing them, and now they've got soft tissue injuries again. They need to find a balance, otherwise, because, yeah, they're down to the bare bones. So, uh, anyway, that's a bit of an issue for West Ham as they prepare to entertain Crystal Palace uh, midweek. Uh, just one point between them. West Ham, four points above the drop, and Palace only three. But well done to Wigan, who got their 10th clean sheet in 14 matches. It's very good, isn't it? Oh, Will Grigg, en flambant again. And Dr Tom, what else? Wigan have been subject to a potential takeover as well. Mm. And interestingly enough, um, Chinese owners, because you know there's been a lot of... Um, Let's just say there's been a change of policy in China and investment in football, particularly overseas, hasn't uh, been flavoured. Well, it's not flavour of the month anymore. So uh be interesting to see if that, that goes through completely. But um, another club with Premier League heritage and, and a lot of potential. While, while you're here, by the way, I, I'm, I'd just like to declare that I'm very much open to a Chinese takeover, if anyone's invested in me. <laughs> I'm open to a Chinese takeaway. Notts <laughs> um, County, 1-1 with Swansea. Kevin Allen continuing uh, his fine work there. Ooh, Leicester. Uh, five with, I mean, we're all heartened by the, the underdog stories, but quite heartening to see a big club coming along and smashing, swatting away a, a, a lower division side. Yeah, and they, Fusaini Diabate, their new signing, scored two and assisted another. It's quite a nice story in that um, I don't even remember when, when Puel was appointed. It was Richard Keyes who tweeted RIP British coaching. But it's sort of RIP French scouting in that his son, Gregoire, played with... Diabate at uh, Gazalek and kind of recommended him to Leicester. Um, sort of persuaded his dad to buy him and yeah, he scored two on his debut. Wow. The best thing about these goals as well was the first one, the Torpok. The greatest of all goals, Torpoks. <laughs> the Romario Topo. Oh, beautiful. Gazalek, obviously Kaiser's old stomping ground in France as well. Oh, yeah, good Because the name, I, mean, I didn't want to ask, but re remind me about Gazalek. It's Gazalek, well, Gazalek, uh, uh, is it Ajaccio? Ajaccio. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's that's all I'm offering. Okay, because there are two clubs in Ajaccio, yeah. and this is the smaller a, one. Yes. Yeah, and they're, they're both small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but obviously, every player that Leicester signed from France now has to get compared to Riyad Mahrez and then Golo Kante. So they have got a rich seam of scouting there. Even with after Steve Walsh's departure for Everton, they're kind of still doing exactly the same. Sure, you mentioned the Kaiser, Dr. Tom. What Kaiser is that? 
That is Carlos Kaiser, uh, who managed to blag a 26-year football career um, spanning the best clubs in Brazil, in in Mexico, in France. And obviously, I've been involved in a, a film, a cinematic documentary, which will be coming out over the coming months. So right. I'll keep you posted on that. That's not the only documentary celebrating a 26-year career blagging your way through football, because we've also got a uh, Football Italia anniversary coming up on, uh, <laughs> on, on BT Sport. In, I think March it's going to be, a special 25 years anniversary edition of Gazetta. Fantastic. Yeah, But yours sounds better, to be fair, <laughs> especially because you went to Brazil and made it for ages. How long were you there for? We, it took three years to make this, and we did 70-plus uh, interviews, so... 200 hours. It is the most amazing story. I mean, we, we, we mentioned it in a previous incarnation before, but when when it's all ready to roll, we'll, we'll have a proper Absolutely. Look at that. Some massive names in it. Zico, one of the last interviews with Carlos Alberto, Bebeto. We, we, I think we interviewed 12 World Cup winners in total. So, yeah, Brilliant. we'll keep you posted. Nice one. Uh, in FA Cup news, meanwhile, Reading got beaten by Sheffield Wednesday. How close is is Yapstam in the bed by the door? It looks like it. I, to be honest with you, last I thought they were very lucky last year to make the playoffs. Every time I saw them, I wasn't impressed with them at all, and they did quite well defensively. I think the fact that they just tried to keep the ball rather than give it the other, you know, let the opposition have it that that worked in their favour. But this year they've been awful. The, the only thing that will save Yapstam at the moment is the fact that Reading have got absolutely no money. Uh, they're a very under tight financial fair play yeah. um, scrutiny at the moment. So. And whether I'm not sure what contract he's on, how long's left, but the payoff will and kind of subsequent reappointment will. Mm. I was going to say, also, would you be the person to tell Yapstam that he's no longer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one. That's one to do by post, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> what I will say about Red North, as awful as they have been, they still beat Sunderland. Yeah, well, mm. there are measures of of incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we on on that thought provoking note, we'll take a short pause and then we're back with some very exciting news indeed. Listeners, we're proud to have teamed up with Mind to tell you about their latest campaign to raise awareness about mental health and get kids reading. The acclaimed children's author Johnny Zucker took his own life just over a year ago. He was a father to three young boys aged 10 to 16 and he'd been living with depression for two decades. A special edition of his most popular book Striker Boy has just been released with all of the proceeds going to Johnny's family and the mental health charity Mind. Depression doesn't care who you are, how much you earn or how good you are at your job. It can strike any one of you listening to this podcast and the effects can be devastating. The leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide and that is something that has to stop. Find out more at strikerboy.com and if you need to talk to someone, contact Mind on 0300 123 3393 or visit mind.org.uk. Back to the show. Dr Tom, have you ever been to Vicar Street? Uh, in Dublin, yes. yes. Yeah. All right. Great venue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be there on Monday, March the 19th. As regular listeners will already be aware, we'll be totally live in Dublin. Uh, joining myself will be James Horncastle, Julian Laurent, and one Pat Nevin, who will be regaling us with his thoughts and opinions after first spinning discs, riding the wheels of steel for an exclusive hour long set. <laughs> it just sounds remarkable. Tickets to all of this can be bought right now at Ticketmaster.ie, Monday, March the 19th. Incidentally, if you're keen on interacting with the Totally family, uh, then do get across to our ever-growing Facebook page. You'll find a couple of videos of David Priest talking goalkeeping. No, this is also exciting. Uh, We're putting together plans for a Facebook Live quiz in a couple of weeks' time. Get yourselves over to the Facebook page to get up to date on all the developments. Right. Now, on to Man United and their big match this week. Shall I come to you on Man United, Daniel Story, or should we maybe just... Uh... No, I'm, I'm happy to talk shop. Are you them. sure? Yes, yes, yes. OK. Um, I think this is... I mean, obviously it's a big game and it's the biggest game of the week, but I, I'm really looking forward to this game. Manchester United are going to be fascinating because in every big game away game this season, other than Arsenal away, Pogba's not been available. Um, so they played Herrera and Matic, which is quite natural for them to play defensive. If, if Mourinho is going to go defensive, then to play both of those. Um, the exception to that was the away game at Arsenal when Pogba started. United won, but obviously conceded a, a huge number of chances. The most I think they've conceded in the Premier League for about four years. Mm, that was um, the De Gea game. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and Pogba was sent off. Um, 
so obviously we'll start Pogba, but it's going to be really interesting to see their shape because that, that Arsenal game, they played three at the back. They've got Matic, Pogba and Herrera that could play as a 4-3-3, but then he played Herrera for 90 minutes against Yeovil, so that makes you think maybe he won't do that. Obviously, we've got the issue of where Sanchez fits in. He right. played on the left and he was he was pretty excellent, against, albeit against Yeovil, so who do they drop there? I'm really interested to see their shape. Mm. With this new cuddly move that was unveiled by Man United on, on Friday, perhaps he will be more expansive away at uh, at Spurs. Also, won't Sanchez sulk if all he has to do is kind of track back and defend and not have the ball? I think uh, Sanchez is actually one of the best defensive attacking players in terms of the ground. that he, he Sometimes he can be a headless chicken, but at least for that sort of really, really talented technical player, he's prepared to do it. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason that Mourinho has taken him. Mm. It will be in- it's a shame, it's a huge shame that Danny Rose is going to be it's going to be injured because that would be that would be great to see because obviously there's talk of Sanchez possibly having to play on the right and obviously Rose overlapping that would have been great I suppose Davies is a little bit more defensive but wherever he plays um, I'm, I'm certain he'll start I'm certain he'll start and I'm certain he'll start Romelu Lukaku as well which basically leaves Anthony Martial Jesse Lingard Marcus Rashford if they play a 4-3-3 for one position and I mean quite how they'll play that I suspect they'll do a kind of a sort of 4-3-3 and then maybe play Lingard as a third midfielder rather than Herrera and just but it's basically throwing the dice on the table and playing those players however they want to play it's going to be a brilliant game I think Alright Spurs have not been brilliant of late they should have Eriksen back or at least he mm. could be back Hugo Lloris could be back in the picture Sergio as well uh, United haven't won away at Spurs although those games not played at Wembley for what that's worth since uh, 2012 what do you think David? I know it's it's a bit of a stupid thing to say, and everyone said it before, but they, they haven't missed Ericsson. And I think the fact that he play, that he plays that role that in you see the De Bruyne doing a similar thing. He always drifts back into the uh, right back position, and then as soon as he gets the ball, then they start playing a little bit more. So if he's back, then that's a huge be a huge factor in the game. Uh, David you used to play in Denmark. I did, yeah. Yeah, Christian Eriksson's from Denmark, specifically from a town named Middelfart. Producer Ben has just stopped the entire show so that I can ask you. Have you ever been to Middlefort? I've played in Middlefort. It's just over the bridge from uh, from the island of Foon, where Odense is, where uh, Christian Eriksen played. OK. Where I played alongside him there as a 16-year-old. Oh, did you? I did, yeah. You he... played alongside Christian Eriksen as a 16-year-old? Yeah. Uh, Which one of you was 16? Him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was I was an old old man, uh, but he's um, yeah he was 16 years old and he he never made a first team appearance. Didn't even play for the second team, but he would train with the first team and regularly embarrass everybody who played against him. Particularly, I mean, it was one day we we played small sided games as two v twos plus goalkeepers, and he was up against uh, Eric Jemba Jemba. Ex Manchester United. Wow. I mean, this is the thing. Sounds like a football dream. The, the, <laughs> the, the, there's, there's four of us in this room, and three people laughed when I said Jemba Jemba. But uh, I'll say this to everybody he is a far better player than anybody ever gave him credit for. I'll say that. Okay. And, it, and it, I mean, maybe he's found his level when he's over in Denmark, he excelled over there. But he was, um, this one particular day, we were playing small-sided games, and they're normally very close. It's normally sort of one attacks, another team attacks. Christian one v one with uh, Eric Jemba Jemba was ten nil up in a game of one v one. Wow! Yeah, and he would just get the ball, and he he was he was. I mean, he was a baby. I mean, he's he's not he's not well built now. He's still got a small frame now, but he was. Uh, he was absolutely exquisite, and I mean, at the time, you no, know, there was Chelsea. I don't know his, his father was a uh, scout for Chelsea, but he was at Chelsea, Barcelona, wanted them, Real Madrid, wanted them. Yeah, obviously, he ended up going to Ajax. Yeah. But but from a very early age, they didn't want him anywhere near the first team because they knew he he wasn't going to be you know he wasn't going to be playing because he he was, he was it's simply a matter of time before he moved on. Wow, that's interesting. By the way, uh, whatever is it, Martin Odegaard? What's the um... Udo. Yeah. Udo. Yeah, Martin Odegaard. Yeah, what's happened to him? Where's he now? He's at Herenveen, isn't he? Yeah, he, I, um, he was an interesting one from a football manager perspective because we couldn't have players in the game that were under the age of 16 unless we had parental permission. And the year that he came on the scene at Stromsgård set and under Ronnie Delia, he was obviously a revelation getting picked for the national team squad at 15. And a lot of people in Norway bought the game. 
and he wasn't there because we didn't have his parents' permission. So a lot of people in Norway were very unhappy because this guy was was obviously the biggest footballing hope in generations. So again, his father was a coach in in Norway, and uh, there was a Twitter campaign to try and and track down his parents and get parental permission. So as we ended up getting a photo uh, of his dad signing a piece of paper in a dressing room somewhere random in Norway, and in, and an update of the game went out, and everyone Bingo. was very happy. All right. Does that mean the football manager doesn't have uh, Pietro Pellegrini? It did, did because obviously uh, football manager is very, very popular in Italy and his dad, as you know, is a massive Genoa fan. So I, I think uh, he organised all that behind the scenes. So he, he was there from, from the start, but uh, we still have a reputation for picking these wonder kids before they, they come on the scene. Excellent. Oh, because obviously Odegaard, it's not worked out so far uh, the way that a lot of people expected. He's still very, what is he, 18 now? 18, 19 maybe. Mm. But he's yeah. actually played pretty well in, yeah, he's in, been doing in the early yeah. season. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so the, that might be a, a much better route to success. But what, what do you know of Pietro Pellegrini? You, do, you, uh, do you share Monaco's, Monaco's enthusiasm for him? Absolutely. I think in the game we have potential, and obviously you know, a lot of the media sources use that. When you actually look at this from a football club's perspective, if you're looking at stats, the likes of Opta, they only cover 15 divisions. So if you're looking for players outside of those 15 divisions, you can use various scouting tools. You can use Scout, you can use Instat. But as you go further away from the main divisions, the information is much poorer. So we've got 1,300 scouts in 52 different countries. So a lot of clubs will come to us looking at specific countries or players. So obviously we're able to pick these players, but to answer your original question, he would have been probably, I'd say, top three or four teenagers potential-wise in the game. So right. I think Monaco have, have done it again, and it seems like a snip compared to what they sold Mbappe for. Yeah, it's it, it, it's curious, isn't it? So he's gone for €20 million, Euros, I think that's figures quoted at £17 million, pounds, going from Genoa to to uh, Monaco and there'd been interest from a lot of clubs in Italy certainly there's been comparisons made with the time that uh, Verratti left uh, bypassing Juve and going again to Ligue 1 to, to uh, Paris Saint-Germain Pellegrini who was the youngest uh, he tied the Serie A record for the youngest ever debut coming on at 15 years and something for, for Genoa uh, he's he, I think the first ever 16 year old to get a brace uh, earlier this season for, for Genoa and, and I think the Italians regard him as potentially the next Bobo Vieri. Yeah, well, I think the potential is there. He's an incredible player, but it's this is maybe where Odegaard went wrong. Mm. That obviously you spoke earlier on about the big clubs coming knocking, Man United's etc. But you know his father was obviously involved. He he knew the situation. He knew the pitfalls, and you've got to play. And you've got to play in the right environment. So maybe someone like Odegaard, who was actually stacked and built as a 15-year-old, a little bit like when Wayne Rooney came on the scene at 16, he could handle a, men, a man's game, whereas Christian Eriksen couldn't, as you said. So Ajax was the logical place for him to go. Whereas, let's face it, are Real Madrid ever going to throw a 15-year-old Norwegian into their first team? Like it's 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 highly 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 unlikely. So you might be better off going to a Southampton or an Ajax or a Monaco, as you said, or a you know even Lille. The competition in Monaco's academy as well over the last few years dictates that he's not going to be able to do what Erdogan effectively was able to do. I'm not saying he did, but and that's kind of coast for a couple of years because very quickly he's a fantastic talent now. But with some of the some of the names coming out of that academy and the money they put into that academy um, rather than this kind of gold-plated version of Monaco that we saw five, six years ago means he's he's going to have, you know, the, the competition around him at a similar age to him is going to be almost the same. Well, it's going to be interesting to, to follow how how he does there. Uh, returning anyway to the midweek action, we were talking about Sanchez and the, the benefits he brings his move to Old Trafford uh, benefits it brings Man United and the benefits it brings to Arsenal we, we've discussed before one of which is a pile of cash which are they have they managed to send that to Borussia Dortmund now Dr Tom? 
I don't believe it's gone through yet, but... Uh, Do you anticipate it going through before Wednesday evening? Well, from an Arsenal perspective, with the new team in place, taking Sven from, from Dortmund, with Raul coming in from Barcelona, if they can't get a big deal over the line, they will be, they'll, they'll continue to look like a laughingstock in this area because they just seem to, to stutter any time they're close to a biggish deal. Mm. The interesting- Do you think they mind, Tom? Do you think they mind with... Not necessarily. I don't think uh, Mr. Cronker minds at all. He probably doesn't even know. And the the situation here, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, Abemiang, obviously incredible goal scoring record in the Bundesliga, suited to the Premier League. He's he's strong. He's he's really pacey. But where you, you're hardly going to play him out on the right or the left. So. You look at Lacazette and you think, why did you spend that much money breaking your transfer record to sign a player if you're going to do this? So from a legacy point of view, and it's the same with it with you know Mkhitaryan coming in. Mkhitaryan is an incredible footballer. We all know that. But Arsenal probably have the best player in the world who plays his position. So is that a signal that Ozil is going to move or is it just bad succession planning? I don't know. Which is it? Well, it's just down to opportunity as well. You know, Sven Mislintat coming in and making that link with Dortmund, making it to maybe he's, uh, greasing the wheels a little bit more for that to happen. But uh, I think that uh, it, it, a lot of it boils down to Dortmund getting a, a replacement in as well. I think right. they're interested in Modest, who's playing on channel. Oh, okay. And I think that's a, an amazing point because, you know, football fans look at the papers and they're they're... You know their teams are linked with certain players, but in reality, behind the scenes, they only have access to certain players. The relationships with agents, etc. Um, you, you look at there was a change of strategy at Man United 2016 when they signed Pogba. Before, when Liverpool and United didn't get into the Champions League, they seemed to just go and pillage Southampton because they were the next biggest team with the with the next best pool of talent. Mm. Whereas United had a change of tack and said we're going to actually get the agents on side. So right. Mino Raiola, Pogba, he, they'd obviously dealt with him on the, on the Zlatan transfer. He allegedly got £41 million as part of the Pogba deal. He was obviously Lukaku's agent. He was Mkhitaryan's agent. But the same thing with Sanchez. So Manchester City obviously wanted Sanchez, but United seemed to want to pay the agent a little bit more to get their man. So you're looking at this saying, actually... Are the agents working in their the best interest of the player or in their best interest? Right. Are you suggesting that, that um, clubs will only have access to uh, players who belong to the coterie of the agents that those clubs have on side? A little bit it, like being ex- a Netflix sub- subscriber, exactly. you're going to watch films on their channel. Well, for example, years for years and years, Arsenal were linked to a Carvalho, uh-huh. and Arsenal have never signed a player from the George Mendes stable. They don't have access to to those players, so the papers were linking him the whole time, but that deal was never ever going to happen. But yeah. the thing, this is how it's always worked. But it, I think now it's more it's it's more official and more uh, business like than, than you, in the past, where it's it's been sort of a kind of the friendship between managers and. and uh, because we all remember the Calciopoli uh, scandal in uh, in Italy, 2006, when all that broke. And one of the central things that criminal charges were actually brought on this was the, the, the work of Luciano Moggi, who was the director general at Juve, and his son, who ran with a couple of other um, influential or, or, or sons and daughters of influential people, ran this, uh, this agency. And the implication was... and. Uh, the, the charge was that it had been directly said to players that if you want to play for the Italian national side, you have to sign for us, you have to leave your agent and sign for us. If you want to play for Juventus, you have to leave your agent and come and sign for us. So effectively, that is exactly the same thing, but they're actual criminal charges with the result. Yeah, but, but that's why most, uh, well, a lot of big transfers become so complicated because it's not the, about going from one club to another, it's creating that connection in between. And now that might take two or three different agents. Where well, the, Why? Like for the reasons that we've said. Because, oh, I see. Because of the alliances. Well, well, yeah, exactly. And, and the the personal relationships, or, a bit, or whether the personal or business relationship they have with uh, particular people. But there's no just, reason in terms of transfer business why that would need to happen. No. No, no, no. Of course not. Right. But it, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's about influence and being able to make the deal happen rather than just uh, having two people negotiating that you know that would have no links and uh, the the deal would never happen. 
Right. I was actually going to ask about Swansea Arsenal, but we'll we, we continue down this rabbit hole if that's all right. Do you think we're, we're approaching at all a tipping point in terms of the level of involvement, the kind of arcane machinations of, of agents and the enormous uh, chunks they're taking out of the, the kind of general economy of football? Yeah, I, I think so. There's, there's two really interesting things for me. The first is about agent influences. Football League or Football Association will stipulate that an agent is not allowed to have undue influence over transfer business. Now, at Wolves, we've got a situation where Jorge Mendes, I think it's fair to say, um, <laughs> some influence over guiding possible transfer targets and the club take his advice on potential uh, transfer targets. I think that's fair to say. The, the, weird, the weird flip side to me is... Are we in a situation now where players who don't have these famous agents are kind of losing out? Um, I did a piece a couple of weeks ago about Riyad Mahrez, whose agent is um, an Algerian guy who's effectively got two other players listed as on his books. One is a, a league de footballer and another is just is a player in the Algerian leagues. And then he has Riyad Mahrez, who is this potentially 50, 60 million pound footballer. And Riyad Mahrez's move has never come. Um, you know, Arsenal have been linked, Liverpool have linked, I think Roma were linked strongly. But it's never come, and I wonder if that's partly because his agent doesn't know the right people to get a deal done. If if Riyad Mahrez's his agent was Mina Raiola, would he still be at Leicester City now? I don't think so. I think part of that might be he doesn't want to get involved in what you were talking about. That He probably sees this as his big payday mm. and wants to get the deal done on his own. And it's it, like... To put it in perspective, we mentioned Mina Royola earlier on getting £41 million as part of the, the, the Pogba deal, as, as was reported in the media. To put that in perspective, Pini Zahavi, who's another super agent, only, and that's in quotation marks, uh, got €12 million Euro for the Neymar world record-breaking deal. So that will give you an idea how much Man United have paid up to, to get their players. Mm. Now, I, I mean, it, from a personal perspective, I've be involved in the move where uh, for much of my career I didn't have an agent and I, I used people when I needed to use them uh, but there's been times when somebody's come to me and says uh, would you like to move here yeah I'll move here okay then I'd meet uh, an agent at the club and he's already done the deal and he's already getting his fee uh, and it's already been decided and you, that's the first time you've met him and that's the first time I've met wow. him uh, well, I, I got on a, I got on a plane with him, and that was the first time that I met him. And we went and done the deal, but the, there was no negotiation because, like I said, the deal had already been done. Okay. His, his fee had been agreed, and it was taken or leave it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to ask about. Uh, so, Man United gave uh, almost four times, or paid almost four times to Minoriola what Pino Zahavi uh, earned on the even bigger deal for for Neymar. But if you're Man United, the biggest club in the world, one of the most attractive clubs in terms of a name and a history, a heritage for for players to go to, why would you need to pay that much money to an agent? Is it because if you don't, you're you're cutting yourself off from an entire section of the market? Well, I think at the time when they started doing this, they weren't in the Champions League. So they they, they weren't in a position, the best players didn't want to go there. So they, they weren't the biggest club in the world. And you had a situation where they needed to do this to get the players to get them back into the big time, which they've done. Mm. In fairness, Ed Woodward has hit this, and I know there was a question in from from one of our listeners mm. about that and whether you should appoint a director of football. They actually are in the process of looking for someone in, in that area as well. So they are in between recruitment and director of football that right. they're looking for. The, the, the other reason is the future. Have you... If you if you make it known or to an agent that you're willing to prepare to pay him a large fee to get his golden boy, then when his next golden boy comes along, if you then get first dibs on that golden boy, it stands to reason that it's, you know, making that deal happen now. You're not mm, necessarily just paying for pog. Exactly yeah. right, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Wow. Eye-opening stuff. We'll take another of those breaks and then we'll talk about ordinary old football after this. Producer Ben here, people. And, you know, I was talking to our friend Raphael Honigstein recently and he was telling me when it comes to cars, he drives a BMW. When it comes to sausage, it's got to be Bratwurst. When it comes to pudding, it's Black Forest Gatto. And when it comes to stubble, he is all about Cornerstone. Why? It's all about the German engineering, of course. Cornerstone super sharp blades are made in the fatherland so you know you're getting the absolute best. And right now, you can pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. All you have to do is head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Producer Ben just pointing out that if it hadn't been for his question about Little Fart... 
Middle, middle fart. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, right. Oh, Swansea Arsenal. By the way, in Danish, fart means speed. So middle speed is what average kind of speed. Average so speed. You get that little sort of turbo boost. Yeah. <laughs> what, exactly. what, how would the town end up being called? Middle it, far, I don't know. It's just a, it, it's like I said. It's a, it's a bridge. Middle far bridge. You go into the town, uh-huh. and it's from. Uh, it's, I mean, Denmark's loads of small islands. The mainland, Funa, uh, Middle Island, and Shelland, which is where Copenhagen is. Okay. And it's in between. I think it's in between. Um, it's in between. Yeah, it's in between Shelland and. Uh, that might be why it's called middle then. Exactly. Yeah. Oh right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, how long were you in Dummett for? Yeah. Four years. All right. Did you enjoy it there? Great. Place loved it. Live. Absolutely loved yeah. it. Yeah. Nice. Hello to you, Danish listeners. Now Swansea Arsenal. You probably want to hear about that, don't you? Uh, Swansea Arsenal. Well, Swansea. I know they only drew one-one with Notts County, but I suspect they might be one of those clubs down the sharp end of the Premier League that are thinking maybe we'll concentrate on our our, our league form, and they've been in fantastic form. Since Carvajal arrived, still only one defeat in seven matches. And when they did Liverpool, we didn't wonder whether they might, for their next trick, do a similar job on the Gunners. What are the odds? I yeah, I, Arsenal are actually in great form at the moment. Um, in terms of these sort of games, the ones we expect them to slip up, but they've actually done okay. Um, I think they'll probably beat Swansea. Carvajal's it's very strange in that Swansea actually for a team at the bottom of the league weren't shipping that many goals. Mm. Um, so normally the... N- n- oh, it was the, scoring goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they, they actually they conceded a few in Clement's last few games in charge, but before that, they were actually pretty solid at the back. And So the normal idea of this firefighter coming in and shoring things up and therefore making them instantly more, you know, instantly stronger has not really happened. So he's had to go about a different way and his, his different way seems to have been being very larger than life with the press, kind of dropping these brilliant little segments and these quotable things um, and very much taking the pressure off the players. Um, he's got an awful lot more out of some of those midfielders that have been un- un- underperforming. Renato Sanchez, sadly, not one of them. He mm. was awful against Notts County and came off injured again. Mm. Um, but that aside, they have improved. <laughs> I just think that Arsenal will beat them. OK, well, they have beaten them 3-0 and 4-0 on their mm. last two visits to the Liberty. And as you mentioned, they're in pretty good nick at the moment. Arsene Wenger's boys, a 4-1 win over Palace and then 2-1 against Chelsea. Uh, Everton-Leicester could be an interesting game. Leicester were kind of marooned in seventh there. Everton, who were just outside the relegation uh, the battle, that group you were talking about, Dr Tom, there's six points a- a- above the drop, but really having a horrible run... No wins in six matches. It's a very difficult one to call, isn't it? Uh, I think it'll be a good game. And, you know, Leicester, you said, you know, five goals in their last game mm. about against lower lower opposition, but uh, it could go absolutely anyway. I, I fancy Leicester this one. I watched them the other week against Watford and it's, I've not seen them live, um, a lot live lately, last couple of seasons, but I was really, really impressed with them. I think uh, they're definitely the seventh best team in the division, mm. and that, that's where they'll deserve to finish. I think uh, when uh, when Jamie Vardy's move to Arsenal um, broke down, it didn't materialise. I, I thought that Arsenal had got away with one there, and I thought, well, it probably works better for them. After watching them the, the last couple of uh, times this season, I'm so impressed with them because he does everything that that players uh, that your modern day sort of Premier League footballer doesn't do, mm. or you know, the average players that don't do, in these. Uh, I, I know it's, all the plaudits have been given to him about where he's come from and, and how well he's done, but I, I was actually blown away by him. The thing I really like about Leicester and well is he's got that central midfield absolutely firing. Having sold Kante, sold Drinkwater, 35 million, indeed he looks... Indeed looks incredible. Yeah, yes, indeed he. And um, <laughs> it will be interesting to see if they recall Nampolis Mendy as well, who played under right. Puel at Nice. Because if they do that, then they'll consider, given their recent history, they'll consider next season that they should push on for top six. And look, yes. look at the criticism that he had for making them those ten. It was a ten changes at the weekend, or yeah. Yeah, the criticism they got in, in, in three 0 up after half an hour. Like, you know, mm. it just shows that they, they've got not only have got a good side, they've got good depth as well. Finding that, I know it might not be Diabate, but Inacio was good as well against Peterborough. Finding that backup for Vardy is is vital because and for Maris potentially yeah because they really struggled with 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 Ahmed Moussa and with Islam Samani both flops and on the way out or already gone 
So if they can if they can find backup for Vardy, so they can kind of change the team when they need to. They, I say top six is not outside the realms next season. Uh, I don't a lot, a lot of well, the, they've won the thing before, so I don't think everything. <laughs> yeah, regressing to the mean and yeah. fifth. But, uh, all the sides I've seen, the likes of Watford, Swansea, Newcastle, they have just missed that quality up front, and that's the difference between Leicester and everyone else below them. They've got that even all Brighton or Kazaki, Morris and. Uh, Vardy, of course. That's the difference they've got over everyone else. Yeah. It works so hard as well. Mm. All right, now the rest of the midweek, everyone from Watford in 10th is within four points of the drop, which could make kind of every game interesting. Let's see which you guys find interesting. West Ham Palace, mentioned West Ham's threadbare squad. Palace coming off that 4-1 spanky at the Emirates, might fancy their chances there. Chelsea taking on Bournemouth. Bournemouth only three points above the drop. Chelsea beat Newcastle... Batshuayi, Jekko, Bat- all those things. Batshuayi is, is is interesting because if Murata's not fit again, mm. Conte kind of scaled back a little bit yesterday when he said, there's no reason Batshuayi has to leave as if he hasn't been hinting for the last three months that he should leave. But he's obviously scored twice against Newcastle. Now He's now clicked under better than a goal every 100 minutes in a Chelsea shirt, which wow. is phenomenal. I, mean, I know he, he often plays lower league opposition and comes on against tired defences, but even so, he it was interesting to see the kind of not wild celebrations, but the very um, enthusiastic celebrations from the Chelsea players around Batshuayi when he scored both goals yesterday. He's clearly liked at the club. And actually, Conte, like Mourinho, prefers this centre-forward presence. It's why he's going after Edin Dzeko. It's why the weird rumours about Carol and Crouch came. Um, there's an argument to say that Chelsea have played better this season when they've played this kind of fluid yeah. front three. And, no, and Hazard likes it too. No, they looked at the, the game before this when there was... At Brighton, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to no news yet on the Jekko thing. He played again for Roma Sunday night in a very disappointing performance. Was part of I mean, essentially the team were booed. They lost one 0 at home to Sampdoria in the, the crowd. Whether they weren't happy with the performance or specifically his position, which isn't something by all accounts that he's in any way looked for, uh, is uh, a little bit open to question. But that's an evolving situation. Yeah, I, I think I'm right in saying that Chelsea have kind of half moved on to Olivier Giroud. Right. Well, that um, would be interesting. Wouldn't yeah, it? I think the Jekko thing. I don't think his appetite of move was maybe what it was. They kind mm. of settled in Rome. So, yeah, I think they've moved on to Giroud. All right, excellent. Uh, Saints are taking on Brighton in an all-South Coast affair. Saints who beat Watford. Uh, that's two wins in 12 for Pellegrino. They, he still gets booed, though. Yeah, it's the, it was the... Um... It was the, the gallows humour derby because oh, yeah. Watford were singing we'll sack who we want. Southampton were booing their team when winning. <laughs> Both clubs feel it. They're, they're the two clubs that you think are kind of out of nowhere really sink like a stone mm. because there's a horrendous morale at both at the moment for uh, Watford and South well I think Watford fans just kind of they're used to this they're used to Gallo's humour at a new manager but it was a pathetic performance against Southampton when right. players should have been kind of yeah. trying to impress Javi Graffier and yeah. Southampton have been just amazing in the way that they've been able to rebuild every season almost losing a manager nearly every year selling all their best players so you know even with Les Reed mm. working serious magic behind the scenes, it's it's uh, it's not sustainable to. Yeah, to although do that. losing a manager isn't quite the same as actually getting rid of one yourself. <laughs> no. True, um, but anyway, so Saints are taking on Brighton, who themselves have only had one win in thirteen matches now. But I don't think they're doing any booing, are they? The no, fans? no, it's it's a strange. We've got a very unusual scenario whereby the three promoted clubs basically could never hope to upgrade the manager they've got, and therefore are very happy with them. Yeah. I suspect maybe Newcastle side or there are kind of a basket case but even if they went down I don't think they would any of the fans or a very small percentage would want to sack those managers so they're the only ones that are kind of everyone else has basically got rid of their manager other than Bournemouth and they're in a similar situation so it's yeah it's strange Javi Gracias Watford meanwhile uh, who are four points above the drop are taking on Stoke they're at Stoke Stoke are only a point above the bottom three and looking rested and resurgent under Paul Lambert who's come in and it's all flowers and rainbows and stuff now at the... Well, yeah, one thing he will have done, he'll he'll have lifted all the players because if there's anything that Paul Lambert is good at is that he's very good with players, very good good at handling players and and getting them in the right uh, or the best frame of mind for games. So regardless of what anybody might say about them tactically or he's not the man to organise the defence, they'll definitely be in better psychological shape. Excellent. So in terms of a new manager bounce, you couldn't have a better person than... Paul Lambert. You could say that. Oh, right, lovely. Uh, I haven't talked about Man City. I mean, we mentioned the fact that they beat Cardiff 2-0. They're taking on West Brom. I think I'm right in saying that they've beaten West Brom in their last 12 meetings. 
probably by loads of goals. I don't have the numbers. <laughs> um, Leroy Sané, how's his leg? Is yeah, he... he's going to be out for two, two to three weeks, Pep thinks. Okay. Um, which is the first time this season that they're basically going to have to, their only forward injury has obviously been Gabriel Jesus, who's a fairly obvious replacement in Sergio Aguero. So this mm. is kind of the first time that you think there might be a change of approach because I presume they'll pick Bernardo Silva, who is a bit more of a kind of roaming attacking midfielder. Mm. So maybe, maybe Sterling. It's not a bad sub to make. Oh no, it's brilliant, brilliant. But uh, but Sterling, Raheem Sterling has obviously played this kind of almost poacher role drifting in, whereas he might have to play the Sané role as the, the out-and-out okay. wing forward and Bernardo do the scheming. Uh, right. And let's hope the referee gives them protection to the, uh, tomorrow, sorry, right. Wednesday. Whenever that game yeah. is played. <laughs> or indeed any time uh, that they yeah. or any yeah. other footballers on the yes. field. Yeah, Not absolutely. just players, yeah. Excellent. Well, it's going to be a, a busy midweek. We'll be reviewing all of those games, of course, come Thursday in the Totally Football Show. But we've still got so much to talk about. If you're willing, listeners to lend us your ears for a little bit longer, very, very quickly, to fly through uh, one or two headlines from around the world and some of your very interesting questions after this. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show and find us on Facebook, also at The Totally Football Show. Argentina. Dr Tom, are you a fan of Argentine football? Big time, yeah. Why not, eh? some amazing players. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carlos Tevez, that's one. He wore the captain's armband, made his third debut for Boca Juniors at the Bombonera. He put a full stop to his second period away against, appropriately enough, Colon. <laughs> In France, PSG beat Montpellier 4-0. Neymar turned up, and, and boy, did he turn up. He was all over the Montpellieries. Uh, and, uh, of course, Cavani became their all-time leading scorer. 157 goals in 229 games, which is very impressive. Also, they had an exciting 2-2 draw Sunday night in France between Marseille and Monaco. That's third v fourth. A lot of people were quite excited about Fabinho's goal, the equaliser for Monaco, but I just thought it was poor defending. I just <laughs> disappointed with Marseille. Football Grinch. For that. Yeah. Uh, Leon lost at Bordeaux, uh, which was Gustave Poyer's debut, and that was fantastic because Bordeaux had a, a rotten record at home, but uh, an immediate impact for Gus. 3-1 win for them. Super. Uh, Spain. Coutinho made his debut for Barcelona as they won 2-1 against Alaves but they're still miles ahead of everybody else. In Italy, talks about all the kerfuffle as uh, Pietro Pellegri moves to Monaco. Also a lot of love for Gigi Buffon, who turned 40 on Sunday. And you know we're going to give him a special, special uh, edition of uh, Golazzo this Wednesday when we'll be joined by former Atlanta a youth product, uh, Richard Hughes. That'll be interesting. Uh, oh, and Milan beat Lazio. Big win that for Milan. We'll talk about that on Wednesday as well. Uh, France done that. Oh, Germany. Dr Tom, I know you want to talk about a certain Leon Bailey, who is the story of the season in the Bundesliga. Absolutely. He's a superstar in the making. You know, you look, you look at, I think, 19 starts this season, 10 goals, 5 assists. Is it? Uh, it... 100 metres, less than 11 seconds, just pace, power, brilliant finisher. Some of the goals he scored, the goal at the weekend against Mines was incredible. The back heel, where he seemed to be in slow motion a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Um, but I know a lot of the, the biggest clubs in Europe are sniffing around him at the moment. He seems to be the best player in the Bundesliga. All right. So he's at Bayer Leverkusen, Correct. who are in second place, uh, largely thanks to his efforts. Uh, it was, he's going to end up at Bayern Munich as everybody else in the Bundesliga seems to do yeah well that that's the one downside to the Bundesliga isn't it that Bayern seem to be able to pick off anyone uh, from any of the other teams but it's an interesting role that Leon is playing at the moment because he's effectively been playing left wing back wearing number 9 and he is a striker so they seem to just give him free reign on the left hand side but in the Mines game they weren't getting any joy he was been doubled up on the whole uh, of the first half. So he said to the coach, stick me on the right. And obviously straight away he cuts in and, and scores what, you know, David described it as almost a, a, a free kick while he was moving. The way he seemed to just line it up, put the ball down and, and curl it into the far top corner. So really, really amazing prospect. And even the, the story behind that, there's an amazing story behind Leon and, and where he's come from and he was adopted, but uh, we can go into that in more detail some other day. Okay. The, him going on the right wing, we talk about Bayern, that will immediately set off Iron Robin alarms 
because he if, he if he keeps doing that and that role and curling the ball in from the right-hand side of the box into the far corner, Bayern are going to put two and two together and make fear pretty quickly, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Okay, uh, we'll just finish off then with uh, some of your questions. Here's a big one. David Buchan says, Jimbo, what's your favourite word? Paradigm or narrative? It's a tough choice, isn't it? I'd go for moist myself. Oh. But anyway, Mark McCulloch says for David Priest, is it time Danny Ward was Liverpool's number two keeper? Well, do you know what? He should have had a chance. And my only uh, problem with that is that Jurgen Klopp sees him every day in training. Ah. And there's obviously a reason why he's not giving him a chance. Fair dues. So I, I, I would, in this case... I would say I would trust Jurgen Klopp's judgment. All right. Well, on that note, let's leave uh, all your football chat. Uh, having had our say, let's now get the odds from Paddy Power with Ian McIntosh. Thanks, James. I'm here with Paddy Power. Paddy, it's time for movers and shakers and quite a weekend. Let's start, though, with the result that really stands out. No one saw coming. West Brom beating Liverpool. Now, what are the odds on them to do a Wigan? to actually go all the way, win the FA Cup, and yet still go down. It's it's unlikely, but it could happen. But is that a is that a, a good thing or a bad thing if you're a West Brom fan? Like, winning something would be great, but getting relegated would be bad. Are you better off not winning the Cup and finishing fourth from bottom or winning the Cup and getting relegated? I'm not sure. But anyway, it's 66-1 to 1 for, for both to happen. I think West Brom should uh, obviously be very proud of their performance the other night, but it was a very, very Liverpool thing to do. It was, wasn't it? Would a Liverpool thing to do be to somehow manage to lose to Huddersfield and make it three defeats in a row? Yeah, you see, they're, they'd probably bounce back now and be brilliant against Huddersfield and, and win 25 nil or something. But uh, but it's 17 to two, so that's like uh, eight and a half to one. That that it is that it, it does become three defeats in a row for for Liverpool after the uh, the great performance against Man City. Like I don't know, it's like it's like an under 12s team or something, isn't it? When they do it, put in a great performance and sit back and go, that's great, brilliant. We've proven we're brilliant. But now, uh, what else could possibly go wrong? But yeah, it's 17 to two for Huddersfield to beat Liverpool on Tuesday. Yeah, there's a lot of anger building up with uh, with some Liverpool fans uh, out there on social media calling for new signings. Manchester United, of course, have a big new signing, Alexis Sanchez. What can we get on him to open his account for United against Tottenham? He's 5-2 to two to score a goal against, uh, against Tottenham. And I have to say, one of the funny things I thought about the Sanchez transfer was that on social media, there was a huge amount made about his height and the fact that he's not very tall, which is not really new. Like He's been in the league for about 100 years, you know. We just suddenly noticed maybe all the Arsenal players are, are much smaller or whatever. But uh, yeah, he's 5-2 to two to score his, his first United goal against Spurs. Fantastic. Now, of course, Arsenal got a new signing out of this deal. It kind of been forgotten about in all the um, in all the hubbub. But uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan um, up against Swansea. Well, what can we get on him to get an assist? Yeah, I see. I see the way you're asking for an assist rather than a goal for him against Swansea. <laughs> but uh, he's eleven to eight to get an assist. And I think I do think he probably he probably will be a, a reasonable signing for them because he wasn't getting he, he was out of favour, wasn't he at, at United? So uh, so maybe this will be the the new lease of life that he that he enjoys. And while Sanchez takes all the all the, the immediate attention, maybe McTarion will be the real winner out of this, this uh, transfer swap. Well, yeah, you never know. Arsenal might just get the better end of the... <laughs> I almost did it with a straight face. So close, so close. Baddy, thank you so much for that. We'll speak to you again on Thursday. Cheers, Ian. Be good. Bye-bye. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. And it's many, many thanks to Dr Tom Markham for joining us today. Thank you, James. Great to see you as always. Well, that's very kind of you, David Priest. Look forward to your uh, return to these shores and good luck in the meantime. Thank you very much. And you, Daniel Story. Many, many thanks. Thanks for having me. And also for all the other material which I've borrowed over the last <laughs> week or so since you last been in. We're back on Thursday. Before that, there's the Football League show on Tuesday and Golatso on Wednesday. We'll speak to you soon then. For now, it's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.